Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wildstorm Addiction, episode 20. This is the weeks of November 17th, the 24th, and also December the 1st. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. You know, as we near the end here, we don't really have as much news anymore, so it's just kind of like tidbits that are thrown out. Just want to mention real quick, there was something they put on uh, Wildstorm's blog, The Bleed, this week, which got a couple of people excited, but uh, I think it was just a gift. Some people took it as a tease, but they posted uh, Mark Silvestri's cover for the Wildcats number one that came out back in 06, and I think and Eric Larson's cover, which I think was supposed to be the cover for number two, like the variant cover. Austin posted those at the Bleed, and so those were those were nice to see, and we'll, and we'll grab those and put them up at the Wildstorm resource wiki but yeah like i said i'm pretty sure those were not teases they were just gifts so but they are still appreciated because it was cool to see uh see those two guys drawing our favorite characters so anyway just something you can head over to the bleed and see you know we do have four titles we're going to review tonight the majority of these i didn't get to do reviews this month because of my work schedule so november was pretty much a wash for reviews so this is exclusive, guys. This is the only only place you're going to hear our reviews for these. <laughs> I'm sure y'all are excited about that. First up, we got Ides of Blood, number four of six, written by Stuart C. Paul, art by Kristen Duce, and cover by Michael Geiger. As all of you know, this is definitely a, a fan favorite here at Wildstorm Addiction. You know, we are have really been enjoying this comic a lot. I just you know, it's it's sad to me to see that, it's, that it has not even been in the top 300 when I've been looking forward each month to see how much it's been selling. I mean, obviously they're going to finish it off, but it's just sad to see that it's it's not selling. I, I see a few copies at my local comic shop, and I think uh, here eventually I might just do a, a post online somewhere to just promote it as much as I can because I haven't been promoting it the way I wish I, I could have, But especially with the closure of Wildstorm. But, but this story is just is just so much fun. I mean... We've already talked about, you know, it's got a great combination of art and, you know, Stuart C. Paul's writing has just been great. And one thing that I really noticed in this issue is he's just great at, at making characters, you know, because in this issue we uh, we start off, you know, we or we, we pick up right from where the previous issue ended where, where uh, Iona uh, showed up with Valens and brought him to her, her sister which is uh, Soka, who's basically this big orc-looking vampire, to help them in their, in their struggle, not only to prove you know, that Valens is not the political kiss killer, but, that, but you know, that they've been building a resistance for a while now, and they figure that they're the only, she's the only one that can help them now that, uh, that they're on the run from the Roman government. You know, there's, <laughs> she's, Soka's just such a crude, <laughs> a crude character. I mean, she's, she's so... She's so blunt, and you know she's she she's forever making comments to Iona about her her lifestyle as a prostitute, and and they just have this really fun banter back and forth as you know sisters, and even end up uh, getting into a fight here with Valens for a little bit, where where he takes out some of her her guard dogs that she keeps with her, one of them by ripping its jaw off. So <laughs> so a really good fight that he has here with her but of course it's just it's basically just to uh to get her cooperation and it seems that you know he gets it by force and then here we uh, move over to Anthony you know who is still upset about what has been going on you know he's been trying to track down Valens and Valens keeps keeps eluding him and he's upset about that so he uh so he's hired a a, a tracker what he refers to as a, a fang hunter 
basically this you know old guy with this monstrous bird who apparently doesn't talk and is supposed to be really good at hunting down vampires and catching them so again like i said just these just these certain little characters that uh, Stewart's in introducing as we go along you know we don't we don't spend much time with them but they're just so visually interesting to begin with and so you just you just see them and you, you know he has great introductions for each of them like this one you know basically has a uh, you know the the hunter's bird kill a rooster and i think there's a little great little line here where anthony picks up the bird he's like he killed little caesar <laughs> which i thought was funny that the that was the bird's name you know but he just shows up and and he's just such an interesting looking character and you just you know he doesn't have one line you assume that he's mute but it's the things like that that i'm really enjoying in this story that there's so many characters you could just take each of these characters i know that you know comic companies love doing one shots on characters there's plenty of characters on here that i would totally you know buy a one shot for just to know more about and to me that's the strength of the story you know meanwhile back at the vampire camp <laughs> you know valens and uh, and iona partake in this uh, blood ritual that's supposed to I just it brings up images of things that they've experienced and they're supposed to all, you know, see each other's thoughts. I mean, that's what I got from it. It was kind of a, one of those surreal scenes where you're supposed to supposed to kind of figure out what's going on and it kind of looks like they're what I call blood tripping. You know, we get to see a little bit of it's it's almost like a it's a good recap of events too. So it's kind of a clever way to, you know, this being issue 4, obviously we're we're pretty deep into the story and it was a good way to to recap a few events and also to kind of give us a little bit a little bit of history on each of the characters. So I thought that was very clever on Stewart's part. And then uh, we quickly move move over to to Valen's friend Scipio, who takes a, a spear to the chest by the Fang Hunter because apparently they figured out that that Scipio is helping Valen's, and they um they're, as they're trying to get information out of him, you know they're looking like they're going to kill him, but in essence, what they end up doing is forcing him to turn into a vampire by by making him drink some vampire blood so i thought that was pretty interesting that that character has now turned into a vampire just like valens so as we see um soka and iona and valens you know getting together and heading back to rome we see scipio awaken and you know he's been crucified with a bunch of other vampires who who have been brought out to uh wait for the coming sun which of course we know is not going to be good for them. This is the beginning of the last scene of the book. You know, like I said, I was appreciating the characters and everything that were being introduced earlier. Here's where, where I think Stewart and even you know the combination of Stewart's writing and Kristen Duce's ability to 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 tell a great visual story comes together best when you know you're setting up basically the big rescue here. You know, as Valens, you know, comes in literally, you know, riding on horses and taking out all the cross all the all the crosses as he's you know trying to rescue Scipio and in the middle of this battle we have the the hunter and you know they have a quick confrontation and I mean the the action scenes here are just are just amazing I mean there's a scene here where they grab Scipio and they're dragging him on the cross and the hunter jumps on the cross with Scipio still on it you know he's basically riding on top of Scipio as he's trying to catch up the Valens and it's just great little scenes like that that are just so much like an action movie. And we literally end on a cliffhanger this time where our heroes are about to fall over a cliff. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny too. All in all, just a great issue. I just went ahead and gave this one a 9. I'm just 
like I said, enjoying the heck out of the series. I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, we've we've only got two issues left, and I just, you know, I'm going to go online. Am I really going to push this book if I can? See if people will backtrack and get the issues because I know they'll finish it. But if we want it traded, you're going to show have to show some interest in it. If not, you're going to be taking the single issues and getting them bound by somebody online who can make you a, little, a nice little hardcover. What did you think, Ben? Uh, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make it really quick. It's the end of the year. No. Yeah, it's hard not to love this book. We had read some other uh, creator and stuff throughout the year. Some that we didn't love and some that were just meant for show. But this, this is intelligent and it's great to look at it's a it's eye candy it's everything that you would want vampires vampire hunters werewolves rome i mean there's so much to love about this book and yeah it's a serious book and they have fun with it as well i mean you didn't even give them the real punchline when the vampire hunter uh landed on scipio's crucifix yeah scipio got rid of him quite quickly by uh Biting off his balls. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to give away everything. I know, but if you want them to, if you want them to buy the book and go out and get it, this is the kind of stuff that you gotta sell them on. I mean, it's fantastic from beginning to end. It's it's so much fun. When we interviewed Stuart, we weren't really sure what we were gonna get out of this, and I'm so glad that we were able to take the time with him and to see what he put together. It's it's a really fun read, and I'm glad that we're getting it. So, yeah, I gave it a 9 as well. It was awesome. I can't wait for the last two. All right, next up, we have Wildcats, number 29, written by Adam Beechin, and art by Mike Miller, and the cover by Tim Seeley and Alan Martinez. A uh, quick status report. Team 7 has gotten together to figure out what's wrong with John Lynch and why he went kind of whack job and let out the war guard, which couldn't have helped the situation. Um, Jeremiah King got a little bit of a beatdown in the last issue, and I'm sure we're going to pick up from there. And Gaia got cut off from uh, Jeremiah's control, so she is running rampant and tearing the earth apart. And Voodoo and Sir Edwin are still searching for the new doctor in the Garden of Ancestral Memory, and they're not getting anywhere, really. So, that is what we open on. We open on Voodoo and Sir Edwin. And Voodoo and Sir Edwin, in the last issue we found, uh, ran into Dr. Jeron. Is that how you say that? <laughs> um, yeah, it was one, it's one Thorndike. Of, yeah, Thorndike, yeah, it's much easier to say. Uh, and he was the crazy one where we saw the coked out version of him for most of the part. He was uh, he was big, big into the uh, drugs, so to speak. Anyways, and he seems pretty much like himself here, uh, like he had a bad trip. And Voodoo smacks him and says, snap out of it, damn it. You know, she's, she realizes the, the severity of the situation, and she also has magical abilities, so Sir Edwin... You know, says to her, uh, maybe with your abilities, you can bring the doctors back, at least Thorndike or all of them, to help save Earth. Because at this point, that's that's what they need to do. I mean, they need somebody to help them. 
Next, we move on to the battlefront, which is in Egypt and on Skywatch and the Earth's core. Basically, Link and Battalion are you know, checking in with each other, and, and same with Spartan. Link's trying to get the whole situation, I guess. Pretty much chaos, as I told you from the, from the status report, everything that's going on. Nobody's really making any progress. Spartan can't really help out up on the surface because uh, uh, Jeremy Kane is still, he still has power. He, he got knocked down in the last issue, but he's still going at it. That's where we go to next. And Mago and, and Kane are fighting. He even asks if Fuji can help out you know, with his special abilities that he gained in this last run. And he pretty much says, you know, with Kane around, I, you know, he doesn't feel any any different. He doesn't feel that extra ability that he was given. So he's pretty much his old Fuji, um, and he can't really add to the situation. We go back up to the surface, and the fight with Gaia. Winter decides to go help out at the main battle. He flies through a mini Gaia, I guess, that has sprung up. And then we we catch another quick cameo of the Troika, which is funny because in the last issue we saw how quickly they were uh, taken out of the battle, and it was just a funny little one-off that you know Adam had added in there. I didn't even think that we were going to get to see them again, and we do, and it's kind of funny because you know they're clawing their way out of the desert sand and. And they're all coughing and gasping for air, and they're like, you know what, this isn't worth it. Let's go find another continent that's easier that we can steal and, and roll. <laughs> it's pretty pretty humorous. And this is interesting. I didn't think we were ever going to go back to this storyline, but we actually go over to Mount Rushmore, and we get to see Majestic. And he's actually sitting up, and he's putting on his uh, his costume. And, you know, we get to hear his thoughts, and, and he's basically like, well, I'm, I'm healed, healed enough at least. So he decides that he's going to go after the guy who caused Nemesis to go crazy, and he's actually going to go try to take care of Nemesis and his unborn child. He realizes that he's ineffective in the fight that's going on to save the Earth, so that's all he can seem to control right now. So he's like, even if I have to walk the whole way until I can fly again, that's what I'm going to do. One page, we actually get that storyline back, which we haven't seen in quite some time. We flip over to Langley, Virginia, in the bunker with Team 7, and they actually called um, Dane from Wetworks into the situation. And the reason why was to say that Tao had actually been the one to... um, screw up Lynch and he actually even left a trademark you know that Tao's symbol written on or emblazoned on Lynch's brain that's what they're looking at that's what Christine is looking at and he's like he called me back for this and he just that's what they told him and and I guess he realized if if Tao was able to get to Lynch that you know maybe that's why his symbiote had been acting up you know for the last year or so and that he could have gotten to any one of them. That's where they're at with Team 7. It, it seems like that team is kind of out of the battle at this point because you know, they kind of got smacked around, and that's pretty much it. 
the next page, we see Gaia and her effect on the world, and we're kind of hopping around to all the other superhero teams out there that are trying to save their area of the world. Um, we got Warblade in Canada trying to protect people, and I'm not really sure if he's the one building the bridge over there or if it's somebody else, but there's formerly Bavaria, and <laughs> there's, you know... Somebody building a bridge across that's, the... That's uh, Tumbleweed. That's Tumbleweed? Mm-hmm. How can you tell? Because <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like something his powers would do. Okay. And I'm pretty sure if we backtracked, you know, we've gotten those before where they're like, so-and-so's here and so-and-so's there. Yeah. It's so small, <laughs> there's no detail. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he's building a bridge across a chasm and, you know, humans are making their way across there for whatever reason. Uh, Sydney, Australia is Stormwatch Team Achilles. You know, they're helping people there, and Cambodia Sunburst is there picking people up. So we just get to see that one page of just what people are doing to try to save the world, I guess, in their own little way. And then we go back down to the Earth's core again with Fuji and Hellstrike and uh, Spartan and Mago. Mago's done a pretty good job of keeping Kane, you know. Every time there's a big comic villain, you know, they, they always love to hear themselves talk, and Mago's done a good job of keeping them occupied, preoccupied, and, and not paying attention to the other three that are down there. And and Mago pretty much lets him give his spiel, and then he's just like, gentlemen? Fuji, Hellstrike, and, and Spartan just lay into Kane, and he's a crispy skeletal critter, and he... <laughs> He pretty much falls to the Earth's core into the molten lava. It's pretty funny. Pretty cool thing to see, actually. And then we uh, switch back over to the uh, the ancestral memory place, whatever, wherever the doctors are. <laughs> the garden. The garden, yes, thank you. <laughs> There's so much going on. I'm like, yeah, just whatever, yeah. Um, so this is where Voodoo decides that, you know, she's gambled before. She's seen, if you've ever seen the Voodoo uh, miniseries where she spends some time down in New Orleans, it, it's actually a really cool miniseries. A little bit of nudity, just to let you know. Because that's the main important thing. <laughs> Forget about all the magic she learned. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyways, um, she decides she's going to go for it. She realizes that at this point her life doesn't matter. It's you know, just saving the earth. And so she goes for it, and she starts working her magic, and her eyes roll up in the back of her head. It's kind of creepy. But you see all of the doctors kind of glowing, and um, back to the earth's core, Spartan. There's a pretty cool scene of Spartan uh, picking up Kane's dead skeletal body. It's pretty cool. And then all four of those guys take off for the earth's surface again. Mago, though, unfortunately, seems uh, somber at the loss of his pupil. And then we're at the Earth's surface, and Spartan meets up with Battalion. They have a little uh, debriefing on, on what's been going on. And basically, the consensus is that they can't beat Gaia with physical force. And so Battalion, unfortunately, knows what he has to do. And Jackson King decides that... Uh, He's going to try to get into Gaia's mind and talk her down, basically, from the ledge. Because she's she's lost it, obviously. And so then we see this really cool full-page spread of him in her mind talking to her and going through her memories. 
and trying to tell her that it's not her fault and she doesn't have to be doing this. She needs to learn how to forgive herself so that she can live. And obviously so can the Earth. That's basically what she is. And outside of that, you know, they're still fighting her because, I mean, she's still fighting regardless of whether Jackson's in her mind or not. Um, There's a little bit with Lady Tron and her new robot boyfriend. Winner decides that he could absorb enough of Gaia's energy to uh, turn her into glass, basically. Or all the sand, you know, that she has collected because she's kind of like a sand blob. Spartan tells him no because it might disturb the efforts that Jackson's making with her because they did notice that she was letting up as, you know, he was in her mind. Um, Then we go over to Skywatch and we have Link who's kind of been running the scenes since Spartan's been on Earth's surface and he's been uh, coordinating the efforts. Grunge runs in and says, hey, maybe we could uh, use your energy collector, your space vacuum doohickey, he calls it. Even though Grunge has been thrown into some major responsibility, he's still Grunge. And so they decide to use that to help hopefully stabilize the orbit and the uh, seismic rifts that have been happening on the Earth. I guess we'll have to figure out if that works in the next issue. Next and final, sadly. And we're back on the Earth's surface and Spartan uncharacteristically snaps a little bit and starts yelling for Pris because he realizes that they really need her and her efforts here right now because she's been gone for quite some time. Apollo actually kind of snaps him out of it and is like, hey man, what's going on? Focus, which is really unlike Spartan. Actually, Apollo kind of gets taken aback. Who does he see? But Thorndike appear, I guess, with all of the other doctors from the garden. And it seems that uh, Voodoo's efforts have worked and this is how this issue ends and i cannot believe that we only have one left we didn't really talk about this yet but uh these last couple of issues that were wildstorm universe related there's a really nice uh tribute to jonathan wrench at the end of each one of these it was a good issue fast paced um i think i only gave this one an eight You can see that Adam has so much stuff up in the air that, I mean, it's not hard to follow. It just seems chaotic, but I guess the end of the world would be chaotic. So in certain areas, like I I could care less about reading about Lady Tron. I I know she's a favorite for some people. I mean, she's a favorite of mine too, but the storyline just seems ridiculous. So, I mean, I'd rather see about Majestic than anything. And I was really excited to see that one page of his. The authority ending, which we'll get to later in this episode and and this issue, it's just it's just sad. It sucks. I mean, this is it. <laughs> I don't know. What did you think, Joe? Yeah, no, it does. But I mean, even though they they didn't get told about the end, you know, the writers didn't get told till a little bit later. Yeah, it's probably why a lot of this is starting to seem rushed. At least they found out in time to do something about it. Because, like you mentioned, as we'll see in the authority issue later. I think he he did a good job of wrapping that up, kind of leading into this one. It's kind of it throws you off a little bit, as you'll see when we talk about it later. But but at least we're getting that. At least we didn't just at least it didn't just die in the middle of a storyline. We have that much at least. And yeah, I mean the the feeling of chaos is definitely there. But it's it's cool. Like I said, you know, last episode we were talking about how it just feels like you're you're in the last thirty minutes of of a movie. You know. And you know it's going to end soon, and you're just kind of waiting to see how everything wraps up. And 
and there's just something there's something about knowing that this is the end you know that did you kind of enjoy every little moment it's like is this the last time we're going to see voodoo you know every time you see the, a character on the page you're like is this the last time i'm going to see so and so you know like you kind of saw that warblade one it was real quick <laughs> i kind of have a feeling that might be the last one we see of warblade you know but who knows we'll see what happens in the last issue but I I do love how some of the the greater Wildstorm concepts are all being used here in World's End. I mean, when you think about it, we had the return of Team Seven since World's End began. We had Max Faraday get involved. You know, here at the end, we have the Garden of Ancestral Memory get involved. I mean, just all the big, you know, what I consider the high concept stuff and the different aspects that really became definitive in the Wallstrom universe. I'm glad that we're seeing it here. So to me, it's appropriate that that we're having this issue in the garden where Voodoo is, you know, seeing Thorndike. And that, and that was a great little, you know, return for him as well as a character. It's just, it's just cool. It's just, you know, it was a great way for, for Adam to, to write in all the different characters so we could see them one last time, even, even getting to see the Troika one last time, you know, showing that, uh, you know, they're kind of like those indestructible henchmen. They're the ones who never really die, no matter what they go through. So that was that was fun to see them. And, yeah, the battle between Mago and Jeremiah King started getting a little bit cliche, especially with the dialogue, but that was fine. I mean, they're, they're wizards. You know, they kind of lend themselves to the dramatic dialogue, so that's fine. But I was kind of expecting that. And, yeah, the Majestic thing was cool, and, and I... I wonder if the little thing about him saying, you know, even if I must walk until I can fly, I wonder if that's Adam's little nod to what's going on in Superman right now. You know, the fact that Superman's walking across the country. <laughs> you know, that would have been cool to see that majestic parallel paralleling that, you know, walking through the the apocalypse, basically. I think that's one of the storylines that Adam kind of hinted that might be dropped in the last issue because he didn't have time to resolve it. It's cool. We still got other things. Like he said, he promised that we would see who the new doctor is and who, you know, we'll get to that later as well in the authority. So it's, it's just cool to see a lot of these things, you know, with Lynch and team seven and showing that Tao is still messing with him. I was, I was totally not surprised about that at all. I was, I was really waiting for that, waiting to see that it was Tao. And yeah, I mean, I do like all these little nods, like like you said, that we're seeing people around the world, just kind of like oh, here so and so, and and there they are, and you just kind of keep track. And and yeah, the the big the big kill of Jeremiah King was was interesting. It's basically just you got your back turned, shoot, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> crispy critter. Yeah, and yeah, the thing with voodoo, you know, being significant to help bring back the doctors, that was cool. I mean, even if she, even if she ends up sacrificing herself. If she ends up dying, at least she'll have a, a valiant death, you know, trying to bring back the world. Yeah, it was cool of the, to see Jackson King using his powers like that, where he goes into Gaia's mind, and we kind of, you know, this is very similar to the Ides of Blood double page that we got, which is kind of like a recap of the story. This was kind of like a recap of, of Gaia, because she's been in, you know, she started off in Stormwatch, PhD, and then we got a little bit of her, did, did we see her in The Authority? Yeah, we did. Yeah, at the end of the DNA's run, and then now we now she's here in Wildcat. So she's she's been here and there in, in the World's End story, and that's that's been cool that they're all kind of bringing her story back. I mean, you got her on Earth. Did they just say she was the new Century Baby, or did they give her a title like she's the spirit of? Uh, I think they gave her a title because I thought River was the new Century Baby. He's the spirit of information, though. Uh, yeah. Which I. 
yeah, which which we'll get to later again in the authority. Is you, you know, if you notice, we've said that several times tonight. It's because they are bringing these titles back together, like they said they would here towards the end, which was the original plan. I think even before they knew that they were getting canceled. So, but anyway, the point is, is that you know, Gaia is obviously she's all about the Earth. I don't know. I don't know if her title was the Spirit of the Earth. I can't remember right now. But her being here and you know helping with the Earth, even though she's being manipulated to almost destroy it, I'm sure at the end she'll probably help it somehow, just like River out in space, being the spirit of information, you know, that's technically what the authority went did was they went out in space to gather information to see if they could if they could help Earth. So I thought that was an interesting parallel between the two century babies. And yeah, here at the end the uh, I'm just gonna kinda skip ahead. But yeah, the end with the doctors was really cool and we'll see how that how that uh, coincides with the authority issue. And uh, yeah, I ended up giving it an eight as well. I know it's 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 a it's funny because it's it feels like setup, but it's a lot of wrap up is what it is too. Because like I said, like the majestic thing's not going to be dealt with probably, but everything else will be. So so I but I I definitely after seeing uh, how well the last authority issue panned out, I'm sure that the final Wildcats issue will pan out just as well. Especially since Adam seems to be the one who's taken the responsibility of wrapping up the universe which I thought was really cool. So really look forward to the last issue and seeing what he does with that. But let's go ahead and move on to the next title we have, which is X-Files 30 Days of Night, number 5 of 6, written by Steve Niles and Adam Jones, with art by Tom Mandrake, covered by Andrea Sorrentino. Here we are back in the X-Files slash 30 Days of Night universe, and um, like we were saying before with this title, really have enjoyed the way that they've laid it out they really built it up you know into the third and fourth issue and really gave us a 180 with the whole uh, prophecy and this little vampire baby thing that has now come into the story you know it, it really it really took this in a different direction i mean and didn't see this coming at all i mean at first it just seemed like it was going to be you know Mulder and scully okay we're going to investigate these murders and somehow along the way we're going to find out that they're vampires and we're going to see how they deal with that. Well, Niles and Jones apparently fast-forwarded all that idea, which is probably probably smart because it, you know, they did such a good job of building all that up in the first few issues when they got to this twist with the ancient vampire thing that they were trying to awaken. It really came out of nowhere, but but it was a cool surprise. And you know, we open up the issue with the the vampires, you know, around the the baby vampire who apparently has a bloodlust. <laughs> And uh, is going around killing its, killing its own kind, which I thought was interesting because I, I don't know what the mythos is with the, uh, vampires in their world, but I didn't think they could uh, survive off of each other. I know they can kill each other, but I didn't know that they could survive off each other. But basically, it seems like doing so is causing this thing to grow rapidly, and it just shows the other vampires are worshiping it, even though it's taking out some of their own. Meanwhile, you know, we get back to Mulder and Scully and. We finally get to see Skinner come into the picture for a little while. I was wondering if they were going to use him. You know, he was always a, a X-Files mainstay. So it's cool to, to get a quick reference to him. And we see uh, Agent French or whatever talking to him and trying to get basically Mulder and Scully in trouble. And Skinner, of course, is always shown that he's loyal to them. So he backs him up and that pisses off French. And that kind of sets up. You know what we've been seeing all along. That he's been frustrated that uh, that he can't get a break when it comes to the jurisdiction issue. That uh, Mulder and Scully seem to to have the jurisdiction, and he doesn't. 
Meanwhile, back in Alaska, we uh, see Mulder and Scully with the Russians arrive back at their camp, and all their soldiers have been slaughtered by the vampires. We get a quick recap of how all this went down, which was pretty cool to see. And I was uh, surprised to see when, when Scully decides to go back to the cave of the um, the man with no, no arms and legs, because after hearing you know a blood-curling scream come out of there, you wouldn't think you'd want to go back. And Scully's supposed to be the smart one, so... <laughs> But I didn't think that was a very smart move. But, you know, they go back and they find, obviously, that the place has been messed up. And they find the remnants of the of the man with no arms and legs and take him back with them. And then we uh, make a quick cut back to uh, French, who apparently has an encounter with some of the vampires. And uh, they kill his partner. They see that his name, apparently, is the same name as one of the vampires. So makes you wonder if he's one of his ancestors. Basically, I think that's why they don't uh, finish him off, even though what they end up doing is turning him into one of them. Then we move over to what I consider uh, another Staples X-Files scene, which is where Scully wants to run an autopsy on the, the guy with no arms and legs. So to me, this was just, I mean, it's just Scully. She's, she's literally running just the autopsy. She's taking us, you know, step by step and showing all the different, parts within him and she's going over scientific explanation as to why you know some of these things would occur and it to me it was just like classic x-files you know it's like you she's got this weird creature in front of her and she's still trying her best to to explain it through science i just thought that was just a great little insert then we end with french showing that he has turned into a vampire and i'm sure after all the crap he's gotten from the FBI and Mulder and Scully, he's going to take it out on them. So that was an interesting little twist as well, that that he's now just as much of a threat. You know, we end with, with Scully in a, in a room by herself. She's about to make a phone call, and we see one of the vampires is right behind her. So definitely a great cliffhanger that we're left on. This is the second to last issue, and there's definitely a lot coming to a head in this series. And this is another one that, um, you know, I've just really been enjoying a lot. It was really a surprise for me because... You know, I'm a casual fan of of both series, really. It was really nice to see that this story has just been working out so well and that that Niles and Jones have really taken advantage of the fact that X-Files, which is normally restrained by, by TV budget, he could basically do whatever he wanted here in the comic. And I think that's why he went ahead and did the whole, you know, prophecy thing of the little vampire baby, and that's been a really cool little storyline. And it's going to be interesting to see. It's a lot with between that and between what just happened with French and everything. I, I hope it doesn't feel like it wraps up too quickly in the last issue, but, you know, if it does, it's okay, I guess, because it's been, it's been a really good, a really good series so far. I ended up giving this one an 8 as well. I've just been enjoying that one, and if you're an X-Files fan or 30 Days, you should be reading this. And it, I mean, this has been selling really well. I'm sure it'll get traded, so if you've been waiting for the trade, you, you lucked out on this one because there's enough fans who are supporting it that it'll definitely get traded. What did you think, Ben? I'm with you on that. It's been a fun read. You know, we had we had read Garrison, and we had discussed how much that book had felt like a movie as you were reading through it. Just the way that it was, you know, blockbuster action, lots of explosions and stuff. And this one also feels like a movie just because of what you just said. Obviously, the stuff that has been written in here would be too much for a single episode as far as them to film it would have blown their budget but it reads very much like one of their movies that they have put together for the x-files and with 30 days of night also being a movie property um, you could easily see this 
as a movie and it reads very much that way and i've just been enjoying it every time it comes out it's just been a fun read i gave this one a seven last time we read it i gave it a nine because it was just a such a epic crazy gory uh conclusion but it's not a knock on it at all it's just continues to be fun and i'm really looking forward to seeing how he wraps it up at the end or both of them i guess wrap it up at the end uh next month yeah he did say uh that it does leave itself open for a sequel didn't he i believe so yeah yeah so maybe that's part of it too because like i said it just seems like there's a lot that's going on i mean like i think like i said the thing with french is cool but it just seemed like maybe that should have happened last issue just to give it one more issue to to play out you know, because ultimately I didn't want it to be like, okay, he's a vampire, cool, he's going to go after him, okay, he's dead. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't want it to be like that, but it might have to be because I mean, you only got one issue left. And I mean, I guess they normally, you know, solve the mystery or at least figure out what is causing the mystery of the week or whatever. And you know that they're not going to solve this one. They'll find out that it's probably vampires, but it's not like they're going to fix the situation. Like, they're out there, they're... Yeah, well, Scully will just continue to deny it like she always does. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and and the difference between Garrison and this, I'll bring that again, is with Garrison, you're reading through cliche after cliche, and with that, it was like, ugh, really? Really, we're going to do that? But with X-Files 30 Days, the cliches are fun. Like, it, they're, it is what that, that those series are, and if you didn't have them, it would be a little goofy i guess so to have scully do the op- autopsy it actually made sense like you wanted to see that because it's just funny like it's a nod to that universe and that world yeah i just wanted to turn around to that vampire thing and be like i don't believe in you and <laughs> just him walk out all sad <laughs> sadly we're moving on to the last book of the authority that you will ever ever read at least in uh printed format i guess and if anything is printed it's probably a republished story everyone please stand (laughs) remove your hats (laughs) anywho so last issue joe's making me review this i don't know why because i think i'm terrible at it anyways (laughs) because you've been you've been really enjoying this and i mean i have too but i I just don't i just don't feel qualified to really talk about the authority because i haven't followed them like uh you know we should have why didn't we think of that why didn't we get chris striker on here to talk the last issue of the authority that's a good question doesn't matter i'm doing it (laughs) deal with it (laughs) it's okay chris (laughs) Status report. The carrier is basically flying away from the exploding slaughter moon of the Charybna that they kicked their ass last issue. It's now fully charged back up with the baby universe at its core once again. So, they're heading home. Jack and the engineer, Angie, uh, kneeling on the floor, making out. It's pretty hot and steamy. It's good stuff. It's a fan fiction thing going on there. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Angie pulls away and goes, oh, I'll act it out for you. And uh, Jack is like, oh? And she's like, he's like, what? Oh. The carrier's annoyed. The carriers? <laughs> so basically, uh, Angie still has the carrier as part of her. So she, you know, obviously feels everything that the carrier feels. And when they were making out on the floor, the carrier felt cheated on because the carrier's in love with the high. 
Anyway, she storms off and says it's complicated, and obviously Jack doesn't know, understand what the heck is going on. But that's like dealing with two women right there. Angie opens up a door, and she goes off to to do whatever. Jack goes in and to check on the situation with Christine and River, and uh, River's been a little overwhelmed with everything that he's taken in over the whole fight with Karibna. The main point is, as the carrier's heading home, some of the Karibna ships are still going after them, following them through the universe and through wherever the heck they're going. So basically, River actually shows a little bit of frustration for a change, and he's like, I'll help, I I know what to do, I'll figure it out for a toy. And it's it's there's a cute little uh, interaction with Angie and him, and he knows what what to do. He knows the coordinates and everything, and he can get them there. And she goes, "River, you're a genius," and he hands him a toy, and it's funny. <laughs> Anyways, they have a plan. They're going through the bleed, and you can see all the Caribna ships are following after them. They see that it's working, and that they're following after them. Everybody's kind of holding on for the ride. And who do we see but Mondragon. They have the Caribna follow them back to Mondragon, which is the big ship-eating alien thing that's floating out in the middle of the universe. That's where they lead him, or lead all those ships. And Angie and River are able to steer the carrier out of Mondragon's uh, pool, and they're able to kill off the Caribna that were following them while they were at it. And, as an extra bonus, they feel something else out there with Mondragon. Now, last time, they ran into the Aegean, who was crazed and taken over by Mondragon. So, they were a little worried that they might run into him again. But, as we find out, it's just the high. No big deal. He finds his way back onto the carrier. (laughs) And he's able to hold his breath for, what what is the new uh, record beating? Oh, he beats his four-day breath-holding record, and I guess he was out there for a week. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was pretty cool. After that, there's a, a fun little interaction with Flint and Grifter. They have a little awkward thing between them because you know they were fighting the whole time. They couldn't really, they couldn't really go through what happened with them. You know, knocking boots. They say to each other, "This doesn't have to be weird or awkward or strange or anything." And you know, Flint just quietly says to Grifter, I'm pregnant. And then on the next page, you see Grifter's face, and it's hilarious. <laughs> and he's like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Flint gets a good laugh out of that, so she gets her little April's Fool's joke out on him. And she's like, you should have seen your face. It was classic. So he's basically like, seriously, you're not pregnant, right? And she's like, I wouldn't be laughing if I was. And then... You know, everybody's going to talk to the high and and regroup and congratulate one another. And the high has a little conversation with uh, River and basically Jack and does the whole classic comic book hero stereotype thing where heroes don't die, Jack. They may go away for a little while, but they always come back. So we get our little life lesson at the end of the authority run. 
you know, Jack catches up with Rainmaker and, you know, they've always been buttonheads this entire run. And he basically says, Bloodhail, that was pretty effing epic. Which it was. It was pretty cool. It was nice that he acknowledged what she did to help out around there. And he's basically thanked everybody. I guess Angie, uh, over the the carrier's uh, sound system, says, Everybody be advised, we're approaching Earth. River is like, hey, uh, there's, there's somebody that you need to go. You need to go see, Jack. And he's like, well, who? And, and he tells her that... Uh, he has to go see um, Shen. River doesn't want to ruin the surprise, so he goes. He goes to see Shen, and you know this is. You get to see a really cool shot of the carrier hovering over the the pyramids, which it's bright blue, sunny skies, and that's not really what we've gotten from the Wildcats. So it's a little odd. I'm not sure why, because it should be the same Earth. But anyways, I'll let that pass. Jack goes to see Shen, who is still unconscious and in a coma, I guess. Somebody starts calling for Shen. They say, it's time to wake up. The world is sick, Shen. And she turns her head and says, Jerome, which is Thorndike. And the last page is, the Earth needs its new doctor. And that's the end. That's the very last issue of The Authority. The Authority has arrived at home on earth finally it now has its new doctor yeah <laughs> i get a little bit clipped <laughs> so yeah it was brief i guess it, it was a coming home issue everything was being wrapped up in a way i thought that was good because it's not like they had to spend a lot of time uh returning to earth because the carrier was fixed they could just go through the bleed and show up on earth so it, it was it was good it, i guess the timing was right it didn't need to take another year for them to get back because it's that's what the carrier does it can it can just be there in an instant that was cool i gave this one an eight because nothing really blew my socks off i guess but it was a good issue obviously and it's just you know I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't give this issue a rating. I think I'm going to abstain from the ratings of the December issues. What? <laughs> Until you see Wildcats or what? No, I just, uh, it just kind of felt pointless. It was like, you know, obviously in my review, you can tell that I liked it. Unless it's really terrible, what, what am I going to rate it? You know, it's almost going to seem like biased. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really did enjoy this as a last issue. There's a lot of things. I mean, you could tell that, that Tom had enough time to at least think about for this issue, you know, how to wrap it up. And also taking consideration that he didn't truly have to wrap up everything because it leads into Wildcats number 30 anyway, which I thought was great. And I'm glad that they put that note here at the end so people will know <laughs> that they need to read Wildcats number 30. Unfortunately, when they started the run, they didn't make that too clear that you have to be following both titles. And I know there was a little bit of confusion with that. Here, you know, it's like people who are only reading The Authority, which I'm sure it's not that many who are reading The Authority and not Wildcats, will know that if they want the rest of the story, they need to pick up Wildcats 30. So I really like that. You know, I kind of talked about in my review what I've said several times. You know, my history of The Authority has always been bittersweet. And I've liked them since World's End started. And there's a lot of things like this that I kind of always knew about, like the whole Angie and Jack thing. Yeah, I knew it existed. I just never experienced too much of the, you know, previous relationship between them two. But, it, you know, I totally got it here at the end and love that that was addressed. You know, one of the things that Tom made sure to address before the end 
Yeah, it was it was great that he kind of brought things you know full full circle in his story, you know, showing that the Caribna weren't done yet, and using Mondragon to take him out was was great, and you know the fact that the High comes back, and you know some people are split on that whole little speech of heroes never die, because you know the thing is, it's true, it's just that nobody wants to hear it because we already know it, <laughs> you know. It's such a great allusion to you know to the comics in the real world, obviously that the fact that yeah, as a company, these characters will never really go away, and it's kind of like you know trying to reassure the Wildstorm fans that you know they'll return in some form or another because they always do, and it's true they always do. And I think the fact that Tom had the high give the speech made it acceptable, I guess, because if I don't think any of the other characters could have said it, and you could have bought that the that that was something that these characters would have said because the high, you know, I don't remember him really being like this when Warren Ellis wrote him. But the thing is, with the transition they've taken this character through when he came back in Number of the Beast, and then you know we saw him in Stormwatch PhD, and you know then we saw him here in 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 this run. I mean, it's just it made sense that he would feel that way because it seems like you know based on like what Gail Simone entered uh, into the Wallstorm history with Welcome to Tranquility where she showed that Majestic the High and Maximum Man you know were the big three during a time when uh, heroes were more classic I totally believe that that uh, here at the end of the world he would he would stop the the change or die thinking you know mentality and go back to this you know aptly titled issue which is called Change Not Die which I thought was great I thought that was brilliant that that Tom made a reference to, to that to show that ultimately what happened in this run was exactly what I wanted to happen which was I didn't want the authority to forget the lesson that they learned in DNA's run because to me that would have just made that run pointless so I'm glad that that it seemed like they learned their lesson and I think the high ending the issue with it that little speech made it really appropriate in showing that, yeah, the authority started off as jerks, and that was cool. You know, they're kind of like the cool kids on the block because they don't care, blah, blah, blah. You know, that was cool at first, but the progression of the story showed that you could only do that for so long before it backfires on you. And the end of the world was the ultimate backfire for them. You know, that they couldn't change the world by force. And I'm so glad that uh, they learned that lesson here at the end. And yeah, maybe when the carrier came through the atmosphere band, maybe it just cleared away all the bad stuff. <laughs> maybe that's why I get a clear sky for a second. I guess grunge and uh, it's a little foreshadowing grunge and and uh, Link's little trick worked. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how it all fits because this whole thing with Shin at the end. It's interesting that the doctors appear to her like that, pretty much in the same pose that they appear to. Um, Apollo and them in the real world, even though this is this looks like it's the Garden of Ancestral Memory for Shen. So we'll see how it all fits together. I mean, we obviously get the point is that the doc is that uh, Thorndike and the other doctors have been revived, you know, obviously by Voodoo in this case, and that they're here to welcome Shen. Which uh, Adam Beechin came on the boards and said that that was one of the first things he pitched when he came on board, which which I think was great because it obviously showed that. He recognizes that you know she was a character that that was always in the background as far back as you can remember the authority and uh, kind of makes you stop and think about the way she was presented in DNA's run. You know we saw the opening scenes with her 
having all the birds of the sky following her and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes you wonder if they if they knew something if the the animals of the world knew something that we didn't. You know, it's like, hey, here's the new doctor. We need to find, we need to stick with her. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's and a cool she, idea. Yeah, and she's thinking, oh, this, these are just birds. They're following me because they think I'm one of them. So, but yeah, I enjoyed the issue. I thought it was I thought it was a great a great final issue. And what made it even great was that it leads into Wildcats thirty. I'm glad that it didn't stand on its own. I'm glad that it does lead to Wildcats 30. Yeah, I'm with you. When when Tom first started this run, you know, I was enjoying the heck out of it just by its kick assness and his humor. You know, I, that's what really drew me drew me to the book. I was really enjoying the heck out of it, and it felt a little goofy at times, like that they were just bumping through the universe, running into problem after problem. But to see this issue kind of wrap that all up and he, you know, tied several of the enemies together and the storylines together and got rid of one from the other was just awesome. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, The high speech, I was fine with it. It it didn't bug me because it is true. However, I do have one bone to pick about it. Heroes always come back if they make money. Ouch. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> maybe that was in the director's cut version of his yeah movie. yeah yeah anyways other wildstorm releases that have released over the last three weeks so on november 17th ex machina deluxe edition book four released which i will be getting that sucker ratchet and clank number three of six the talara chronicles number three of four and World of Warcraft Curse of the Wargon number 1 of 5. November 24th, End of Nations 2 of 4, Ex Machina Volume 10 Term Limits, Fringe Tales from the Fringe number 6 of 6, and God of War number 5 of 6. December 1st, Planetary Book 4, Space Time Archaeology, and Resident Evil number 6 of 6. So. People that have Yay, been, finally. Yeah, everybody, the, the few souls that have been on the boards every now and again going, when is this coming out? Well, there and, it is. And I held it in my hands. It exists. I was flipping through it, and it's got uh, Jeremy Raypack, who did the cover to, the, to this Authority 29 issue. He's got some really great art, so I might pick that up later and trade just for the art. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I didn't introduce the Authority 29 properly. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Al Barrianueva, and cover art by Jeremy Raypack and Richard Friend, which I believe we'll see the compliment to in Wildcats 30. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Richard Friend's one of those guys that's been around Wildstorm a long time. I remember seeing his first seeing his name like back when they did Brass. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, new digital comic offerings courtesy of Comixology.com. Uh, Chuck number three and four, The Authority Volume One, number seven and eight, Ex Machina number nineteen twenty and special number one, Gears of War number twelve, Planetary number eighteen and nineteen, and Sleeper Season One finished off with number eleven and twelve, and Welcome to Tranquility Volume One number nine and ten. So if we are ever to see any more Wildstorm. It'll be on Comixology, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you notice, they had a DC had a release over these last three weeks, and 
you know, they kind of changed up, or at least they made their own DC tab just for Comixology books, or DC books on Comixology. Yeah, I think I saw that. But, you know what, that's fine. If that's how we got to have the Wallstorm characters, well, I'm for it. So, for now, we'll accept what we're getting, which, I'm, so far, I'm really happy with the way things are ending. So, all we got left is Gen 13 and Wildcats, as far as that universe is concerned. And we get one more Welcome to Tranquility story, too. They're not dealing with worlds in. They went to their happy little place where they teleported away. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem too happy right now, though. Well, I don't think that this is the place they ended up at. I think this was before they t- they did the teleport. But. And if you would like to contact us, we, we still are here. If you want to talk to us, uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash grifter78. Uh, you can look us both up at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, which we are putting the finishing touches on, I guess you could say, as the last issues come out. I know um, I know the we're still adding some art and things like that and see what else we can get up there. And uh, you can look up Ben as Yo-Yo Master 146 there as well. You can also follow the podcast at twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. And you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com which we actually got a few more followers. I was really surprised that people are still trying to follow us, even though you know, it's here towards the end. I think we've got like 45 people now. Yeah, but nobody's complained and said, hey, why haven't we seen an episode in a while? Yeah. <laughs> so. hey, but we did, we did finally uh, crack 1,000 downloads, so that was really cool. So thanks to all you guys who've been listening and downloading and helped us reach that little milestone. Yeah, you, you should see these couple episodes show up very shortly and we'll probably only have one or two more to be honest just depends on the schedule releases we'll see how we can do it yeah but we'll have some fun like i said i'm sure we're going to get some good issues here at the end i really don't anticipate anything that that we review that's coming out is going to be like really bad it's either going to be mediocre or good (laughs) or really good so that's good to know well thanks a lot guys and we'll catch up with you soon